Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. You know, it seems like every year at around this time, I get questions from church leaders like you who are looking to hire a new pastor, a new youth pastor, another ministry staff role. If you've been in the church world for any amount of time, you know that finding a long-term healthy fit is super tough, but it's critical for your church to truly thrive in what God is calling your church to. That's why I encourage churches to check out my friends over at Chemistry Staffing. Chemistry Staffing is committed to helping churches of all size, that's right, your size of church, to find a long-term healthy fit. In a world where the average pastor stays for only three and a half years, the thing I love about chemistry is they are working to help churches find someone who will stay for five years or longer, and I am convinced that they can help you do that. Right now, chemistry is offering my listeners, you, the people who are listening in right now, an incredibly helpful download. I've been going through this, and this is amazing. It's really ripped out of their uh, search process. It's it's a tool to really help you screen your uh, resumes. So all you need to do is go to chemistrystaffing.com forward slash unseminary to get your copy of chemistry staffing's resume screening tool playbook it is a super helpful tool to help you uh, really read through and understand resumes and to really understand your next step it's a tool that they've developed from literally thousands of interviews and it's going to help you i want you to pick this up it'll be super helpful for you while you're there go ahead and book a 30-minute consultation with their team chemistry wants to help your church that's chemistrystaffing.com forward slash unseminary again that's chemistrystaffing.com slash unseminary welcome to the unseminary podcast are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further faster have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world hey you're not alone join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary buckle up and let's get started with this week's unseminary podcast Hey everybody, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. I am so glad that you have decided to tune in. You know, every week here on the podcast, we uh, give uh, you a church leader that you can kind of dive into their story and listen. Our hope is that you'll not only be inspired, but you'll also be equipped. And today is no exception. Super excited to have Kevin Davids with us. He is from a great church, uh, 242 uh, Community Church. It's a fantastic church. It was launched in 2005. Uh, they've got a bunch of locations in Michigan, which, which I love talking to church leaders who are in parts of the country that we don't normally think of as like, that's a place where fast growing churches are, because this is a tough community to serve. And this church is one of the fastest growing churches in the country. Kevin is executive pastor of Campus and Community Life. Uh, Kevin, welcome to the show. So glad you're here. Yeah, thanks, man. It's excited to hang out and talk about all the unseminary things that we need to leave. <laughs> nice. Why don't we start with you telling us a little bit of the church? Kind of. Uh, so we've had some some folks from 242 on in the past, but that's yeah. been a few years. Kind of tell us a bit of the story, give us a bit of a flavor, and then talk about your role. Uh, yeah. So we, like you said, started uh, the church launched in 2005. I was not part of it. Uh, it was um, uh, Dave Dummett, who's moved on to Willow Creek, actually, this year, which is some of the big changes in our lives here at uh, 242. But uh, he, along with uh, a group from a college ministry he was a part of down in uh, Cincinnati area, came. Uh, it was a family from the Chicago area. He had done a leadership residency with Dave and John Ferguson and the guys at Community Christian Church out in Chicagoland. And it was, mm-hmm. at that time, part of the genesis of um, what now is the New Thing Network, uh, which are just mm-hmm. it's one of the tribes we run with. And um, I get to be a part of helping work with more churches, plant more churches. Great group. But 
back then it was, um, Dave was one of their first leadership residents came here and yeah, God just kept blowing the doors off, uh, everyone's expectations constantly. Uh, Brighton, Michigan, where it began is a, is a very kind of white affluent bedroom community. Not, uh, it's not even, it's like outside the metro area of Detroit, not really the kind of space that you'd pick on a map to go plant. Um, <laughs> but it was growing at the time and, and that's kind of what they felt like God was calling them to and, and Bob Smith and many other just amazing people God worked through to in four years, it grew to four or in four years, it grew to a thousand people. And, mm-hmm. um, they just had this heart and desire to, to always be about planting my wife and family. We were actually out of ministry for a while. Um, because like all great pastors, I was fired from my first ministry job as a youth pastor at the church I grew up in. So, nice. uh, yeah, that's a really good story. Good. I bet. It's really good for your resume. <laughs> and, uh, so we moved from Colorado where I'm from, uh, to Michigan to be near my wife's family and just kind of start over. And we thought ministry was not our thing. We weren't going to work at a church anymore. We, ministry is our thing. Working at a church is not work, doesn't work for us. Mm. But 242 being a year old and it had been growing, it was cool. We just fell in love with it. It reminded me of the church plant I grew up in that was portable in a middle school. They were portable in a middle school, that kind of a story. And so it just became our community first. And uh, when it was time to launch the second campus and, and officially become multi-site in Ann Arbor, so 30 minutes south of Brighton, uh, that's when we joined the staff. My wife, uh, was in, in charge of the preschool ministry. And I came on initially over small groups over both campuses. And at that time we were trying to do campusing as, uh, <laughs> kind of just an add on. So everyone that was mm-hmm. doing worship, you just do it in two places. And like it, it, um, about a year into the launch, we realized like we need to switch this up and, and, uh, mm. it's, it was the birthplace of where we are now, which is, you know, in multi-site, there's a thousand versions of hybrids of how people do it for Mm -hmm. us. It was really initially thinking like a church planter, like as a family, we moved here, we helped start that campus, uh, from day one and a year in we're like, as a leadership team, it was like, we just need Kevin to own this and like be the pastor and the planter and kind of rethink some of what we're doing and also just be the voice that is tempering Brighton. Cause Brighton at that time was, you know, over a thousand people. And so we were this little stepsister. Sometimes the first campus can feel like Sometimes all the campuses feel like, uh, depending on the church. But anyway, throughout that time, yeah, man, God's done great, great things. We've continued to grow. And what we realize, the weird place that Brighton is, is actually the crossroads of um, Southeast and Mid-Michigan. And so we have campuses, seven of them now, um, uh, as far north as Saginaw, kind of towards the thumb, uh, in Mid-Michigan at the capital, uh, in Lansing in Livonia, which is like very much the metro area, Monroe and Taylor kind of down, down rivers, what it's called. So it's like South of Detroit space. And mm-hmm. yeah, man, God's just rocked our world. And, uh, we have honestly, uh, I, it, because of my work with new thing, um, I'm the North American director. So I get to work with a ton of churches and just learn all the time, which I love. Um, man, we have just an incredible staff. I'm constantly, I would never, a lot of people look at 242 and they think we're innovative and we've grown so fast, but really we just, steal other people's really good ideas and make them look like they're ours or make them our own or adapt them. But it's all the, you know, I don't think we've innovated, um, too many things really from scratch, but all that to say, we have an incredible staff. Uh, they're just really, really talented and, um, yeah, God keeps just growing. And as other churches kind of struggle and and look to us, we've been able to coach lots of churches. We've been able to adopt a few. That's how, um, a lot of our campuses has really come to be because, we were thinking about planting in a space. They were already there and friends and it just kind of worked to just join forces and it's helped us go farther, faster. Nice. Um, Love but it's that. also so cool. Yeah. And so pre COVID, yeah. man, we, 
we just, God just kept growing us. And now we're, now I think we're like everybody. We, we have no idea how big our church is. And then our family <laughs> pastor left. So we're just making yes. stuff up all the time. <laughs> nice. Yeah, this is fantastic. This is going to be a good story to kind of dig into and uh, looking forward to to learning from you today for sure. Um, I, I uh, grew up in Canada, so I'm Canadian. Don't hold it against nice. me. And my dad, uh, so my dad's dad, my grandfather worked at the bridge there at Detroit uh, with the Windsor to Detroit Bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I spent a bunch of time uh, in Detroit and uh, particularly because my my grandfather was, uh, was, was there. So we were there yeah. all the time. So Did you grow up in we Windsor or no? No. So we grew up about an hour or most of my childhood was spent about an hour away from Windsor, a place called Chatham, Ontario, um, which is about just an hour kind of inland. But we spent a lot of time in that part. My dad's family is all from down that part of the the country. So Sweet. it's a nice, nice place to live. So yeah. uh, why don't you tell us about your role? So yeah. uh, wh- where, what do you kind of, how do you position yourself in on the <laughs> staff team? What does that look like uh, today? Yeah. So my title is executive pastor, but I'm really not, um, at least for like the executive pastor types, they'd be sure. so disappointed if they hung out with me. Um, Cause I feel like I'm the executive pastor of cool stuff. And then we have another executive pastor. His name's Eric Rauch, a phenomenal leader. He is more of your traditional executive mm-hmm. pastor and he loves what he does, but I, I think it's all boring. If I had to worry about budgets and HR and stuff, I'd lose my mind. Um, right. So I'm, I'm way more on the small group leadership development, uh, love culture. I'm one of the teaching pastors. So uh, one thing unique about us that we've, we've always tried to, we call it killing the celebrity. We don't want the church built around a, a person or personality. And so we've always tried to our ideal is to teach in person. We have a couple video venues at this point just because it takes time to develop the pipeline and stuff. But, um, so I'm just one of the teaching pastors who rotates around teaching between campuses. So, I, the evolution of that was I was the Ann Arbor campus pastor and then I became the primary communicator there. I was teaching every other week. Um, Dave Dummett, Brad Tate, one of our other teaching pastors, um, were the alternate weeks. And so it was the three of us. And between two campuses, we could make it work with, uh, you know, a little, a little break every now and again. Well, then when we launched in Lansing, it was all three of us all the time. And we were really behind in the leadership and in the pipeline of developing teachers. Um, and it was around that same time too, though, that we realized, um, trying to find more versions of me that could like essentially go plant a church, teach, lead, do Mm -hmm. those things but mm-hmm. also still wanted to be a part of this family, which meant I wasn't like, I felt responsible for everything going on, but I wasn't, I didn't have the authority to change it. And that's where so much of my real formative leadership experience came in of learning how, right. because I want to be on a team and I, I like being under good leadership and I want to provide good leadership. Um, mm. The natural, actually Bob Smith <laughs> years ago when, when I was first working at 242, cause I was pushing lots of buttons he was like, you know what? I don't know that you make a good employee. Like at some point you're going to go uh, plant a church and, and plenty of people do that. And I, and I don't throw shade on that, but I just felt like, man, can't we do more together if we just submit to each other and lead together and uh, fight for the good. And, and so we've kind of treated um, working together a lot like marriage. We're committed. Mm. Doesn't mean we always like each other. And, uh, but we're committed to like, could we do this together and build something different and not be about just one person and and to that effect, Dave Dummett left and went to Willow Creek um, this past year, right in the middle of COVID. And at the campus in Brighton, where it originally started, there's more people who know him and see him as a senior pastor. And that leaving was, you know, a time to kind of grieve that and figure out what's next. But at most of our campuses, there's 
you know, they don't know him or think of him as their pastor, like they do their campus pastor or their, this team of teaching pastors. Because Dave Dummett is super humble in that way. He would always just introduce himself as one of the pastors around here. And um, mm. so it's been kind of nice for us not to miss a step in that regard and just keep moving forward and in a, a plurality of leadership. And if, if any church was ever set up for an interim kind of transition season, we were. And uh, it's been really, mm. really cool. Uh, we've just got a great great group of leaders and Dave let leaders lead. So, um, anyway, yeah. So I don't, Oh, so my role, I, I talk too much. Uh, I get, I like to <laughs> no, distract no, myself great. and I'm like, Oh, well, let me tell you about this other really <laughs> random piece of detail. Again, no, other good. executive pastor could be annoyed with me. Like just get to the point, man. Um, but, <laughs> no, it's good. uh, and our, our, our other executive pastor and several of the other people in the team, I call it purpose-driven immaturity. I just feel like, especially on zoom these days all the time, I'm just bored. <laughs> And they're talking sure. about something and it is important, but I just feel like I have to interject with some form of sarcasm or teasing. Uh, so I call it my purpose driven, um, maturity. I learned it from Rick Warren, but anyway, the, um, so the, the role then we, we were trying to find more people like me that wanted to be on a team and could be, you know, a teacher vision, vision caster, that kind of a person who essentially could go plant a church on their own, but want to do this. And we just couldn't find that our first couple of really, really solid residents that came into plant with us through their residency, we just realized like, you need to go out and plant your own thing. Like being here will actually just frustrate you. And so, um, we got to be a part of, uh, a church called, um, mile city, uh, with a guy named Travis Whitaker. And then another one called unite, uh, just down the road from actually where I'm at here in Ann Arbor, the guy named Chris Pasick in unite community church. And just some great, great churches where we felt like we were going to actually slow them down, just like free them up, go do their thing. Um, mm-hmm. Versus like the campusing approach and just trying to be kingdom minded, like kingdom over church as, uh, as much as possible. And so, and, and what was really cool in all of those, we sent people money and these residents out, uh, and they weren't really far from some of our campuses and stuff. And yet God grew them and us in those same periods of time, uh, which is just awesome and how the kingdom works. But so my role, we just decided at some point I needed to step out of directly leading the campus. And, uh, so our role now is we have seven we have eight campus pastors actually today and a uh, ninth one uh, in apprenticeship. And their job is not teaching. And those pieces, they're, they're, they're more of actually like a, um, like an executive pastor. They're very task oriented, get things done mm-hmm. and they, but they love people and they love pastoring. And so they know their community. They love their community. They know their campus. They champion and lead things so well. And then their job is to be the voice um, back to the center constantly uh, because we're in, varying communities, uh, it's really, really important that the campus pastor has a voice in the decisions and the direction of the church, because it's super easy for one campus or, or kind of cultural context to speak for the rest. And it doesn't always work. Mm. So we need them mm. to bleed and know the DNA of 242 and who we are and what we do and why we do it, but also adapt and make it contextual. So it's not, um, it's not force fed. And that was, that was some of the stuff that was so important because Ann Arbor and Brighton could not be more different. I said, Ann Arbor's right. or Brighton is a very kind of affluent bedroom community and Ann Arbor is mm-hmm. uh, also affluent, but it's super academic and, and more liberal and mm-hmm. like, they're just vastly different communities. Yeah, and so that's where we were. Context. Yeah. But that was where we really were able to work out what we do works in all places, but mm. it needs to have boots on the ground leadership that get it and translate it when necessary in those communities. And they're very small little things, but it's more just that like, I live here, I know it, my kids go to school here, I'm with you, I get you, you know? Right. Um, yeah, I'd love to talk about that. I think 
so one of the things having journeyed in multi-state for years, I, mm-hmm. there can be these tension points around these kind of issues that you're talking about. Yeah. And, and even within the executive pastor role, the kind of structure you have uh, uh, for listeners that are listening in, um, you know, that isn't that untypical. There are, are a number of churches that have found themselves at the point where they have kind of two executive pastors, one that does tend to lean more towards what probably like when I started in ministry would have called like a business manager or like yep. business pastor. And then one that's a bit more kind of um, pastor of ministries that kind of leans a little bit more in that direction. Yeah. But there's lots of opportunity in in that structure mm-hmm. with the lead pastor or in the executive or, or in, in a multi-site um, structure uh, that you're describing to just create tension and to create oh, yeah. places where, you know, arguments can happen and disagreements can <laughs> happen. How, how are you leading in a way or coaching your people to lead in a way that, that seems to be reducing that? Because it seems like you're on the other side of, of being able to get through that, but what, how have you kind of yeah. led through that process? Well, I, uh, one, we just fumbled our way through it. Um, and we were, again, what, what's been beautiful that helped kind of buffer us to get through it was that, like myself, this was my church first, then my place of employment. And many of our campus pastors, uh, almost all of them, there's only been one that we've ever hired from the outside, and he's a long-term friend of ours. But all of them are actually people who who started attending and grew in leadership. Uh, a couple of them came on staff with us in different departments and grew in leadership to become a campus pastor. But either way, they they first, like this was their church and what they love that prepared them for that role. And then we just don't we don't hide the fact that it will suck. Like being a campus pastor, I would argue, is one of the hardest jobs you can have in mm. church world. Again, because you feel responsible for everything and you don't have the authority to change everything. And so that just takes a number of practices, primarily just being knowing your identity and where your worth comes from, that you don't always have to be right, um, having a lot of relationship and just kind of loyalty to hold onto the relationship side. And that means you have to have a lot of define the relationship conversations, awkward, Mm. clear conversations to say, Hey, Mm. that frustrated me, or I didn't like that you did that. Or why did you do that? So that we are just constantly keeping short accounts and staying on the same page, honoring each other. Um, and, and always putting the church ahead of ourselves. And so often it's really easy to get focused on what I think we need to do. And, Mm. uh, I've loved, Loved, loved how many times I've been dead wrong. I thought we needed to do something. I argued for it in a meeting. I didn't get my way and it still worked anyway. And those are the moments that create that kind of clarity of it probably would have worked my way too, but I got outvoted by a team and then God still did cool stuff. So you start to just put your own opinion uh, in the right place. And that, you know, at the end of the day, for me, it's also knowing my wiring. Like I'm, I'm an evangelist. So as long as people coming to know Jesus and getting discipled and growing in their own sense of calling and mission, I'm happy. I don't really care how we do it. Uh, if, mm-hmm. if we stop seeing that, then I'll have a lot of problems. Um, and so, yeah, it's like for me, it's, it's over time as we fumbled through it is learning to be really clear about like my own sense of calling, mm-hmm. knowing very clearly what my boss's calling is. Mm-hmm. And then we don't have to shy away from that or, or run away from that. And, um, and that's why, you know, for me, submission has been the most formative leadership thing that I've learned. Um, because it's just, it, 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 if you come back to that constantly and you trust that God's called you where you are and you trust mm-hmm. his providence, then you don't need to be right. And right. it won't always go easy, but you know, you're called mm-hmm. so you can stick it through. If it's just a job, you're not going to be able to hang for very long. Yeah. Let's, let's explore that. Cause I, I think that's one of those things that, um, 
I think everybody who's listening in, any church leader that's worth their salt, no one gets into this thinking, hey, I'm going to be self-centered. I'm going to be um, my way or the highway. Um, you know, there's lots of other careers that people might pick where they that that's rewarded. But, uh, you know, people don't people don't go into ministry who think that, but it does seem like so many of us end up in that spot. We end up in kind of the opposite of submission. Mm -hmm. How are you cultivating, uh, you know, submission really as a, as a posture in leadership? Um, How are you fostering that uh, again in yourself, in the people around you, in those relationships that you find yourself leading at the church? Yeah, I think, I mean, part of it, it, um, the way I came to start to say it is that I realized being a good follower of leaders is what prepares you to be a good leader. I didn't realize that at first. What I what I knew though that helped me stay grounded in all the times because I'm t- especially the first two years of being a campus pastor. I wanted to quit a thousand times, like a thousand times. Mm. There's this ego and stubbornness and image. I just wanted to flip them off and be like, "You guys figure it out. I'm out of here." You know, like I'm, I'm worth more than you know, and <laughs> sure. I work harder than you sure. realize, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yes. Yep. But it was because this was my community first. I loved this place. Mm-hmm. And though they had then, I had seen made decisions that I was kind of like, I don't get that or I don't care about that. But I still watched God use it and I saw their heart. Uh, and, and so I'd learned to trust their heart. So with Dave Dummett specifically, and, and then just like the whole leadership team, we had all become friends and I trusted their heart. And so when there was a moment of mistrust, um, feeling called to this, I knew my job was to come back to trust. So that means I need to either have a clear conversation. I need to surrender that. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because like all the biblical stories that we have of great leaders and heroes of our faith mm-hmm. are filled with their sin and their issues. And yet we are often so confused by it when we see it in our bosses and our employees and our co-workers right. and it uh, becomes well, this, we're disoriented and we're like, Oh, I just can't work here anymore because of the heart. It's like, what do you, he's a human. So I just, I don't mm-hmm. need, I never need a Dave Dummett to be Jesus. And that helped mm-hmm. free up, um, need mm-hmm. to, to serve. And that, and that's where to me, submission becomes a calling. It starts obviously with Jesus. He's the Lord of our lives. We bow our knee to him and, and he calls us, um, you know, in light of all that we saw him deny himself of for our sake, mm-hmm. you know, Philippians mm-hmm. two, we become that. And so through kind of a, a clarity of calling and really submitted to Jesus, um, then you realize you're not called to be famous. I mean, that's probably one of the best things I could say to so many young people, uh, in this culture we have of social media and Instagram and all this stuff. Like mm-hmm. everyone thinks, I love telling young staff when they, you know, they come on, I'm, I'm excited you're here. We need you. I'm just getting older. I'm losing more hair. We need young people. <laughs> But someone told me this when I was in my 20s, and I want to tell you this. uh, The 20s are about who you will be for the church. And that Mm. way in your 30s and your 40s, your 50s, it'll be about what you do for the church. And so Mm. I know you're real excited and you got a lot. But the best thing you could be doing right now is be in submission, be mentored, give people access to all your business to challenge you and to form and shape you into the character of the person God needs you to be in 10 years. So who's the leader God needs you to be in 10 years? That's your job really right now. Like, yes, do worship or whatever your job is, but really it's about forming the character of the man or the woman God's calling you to be so that you can lead in the way that he'll need you to in 10 years. And and that's just a call to submission. That's trusting that God's put me in this place. So therefore he's put these leaders over me and, um, and that you're not called to be famous. I always go back to uh, when I think of this often, I think of Jesus's like last sermon that we get from Matthew and Matthew Mm -hmm. 23 you know, mm-hmm. his first sermons, blessed are the, and his Matthew 23, it's woe to the, woe to the, and it's us, mm-hmm. it's woe to us religious leaders. And mm-hmm. that we wouldn't, I would say, confuse our calling. 
And mm-hmm. the calling then to the Pharisees from Jesus was just their emptiness, calling people to do things they weren't doing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I think for us, it's like, we just think we need to be famous. We need to have lots of followers. Uh, other people should do the discipleship. We're too busy to do it. Like, you know, where in the world can you, you can't define Christianity in any other way, except baptizing people in the name of Jesus and teaching them to obey everything that he taught us. And so if you've outsourced that to other staff members or try to hire that, if you're not living that, um, mm-hmm. I, just, I don't understand it. So it's about learning to have success defined by God's calling. And what Jesus, what I love in Matthew 23, that he defines very clearly is the greatest among you will be your servants. Mm-hmm. So learn to be a servant, become less. So not, not success defined by culture, but not even church culture, because church culture still does it. And it's one of the things I love. The bigger our church has gotten and the more people look to us to learn, the more I try to just tell them, we are not special. Like We're just like you. Right. Every church I've ever worked with, known, everyone wishes they had more time, money, and people. Um, right. We happen to have a lot of people, but we still struggle with time and money. And um, that's not success. The size of our church is not success. Getting a book offer is not success. A bunch of followers is not. It's am I a servant? Am I helping people connect with God? Am I living into the calling that I had? And so God gave that to me in a lot of my frustrations early on that my calling was to be obedient, not famous. And mm-hmm. it was easy for me to kind of mix those two up and be like, I yeah, need absolutely. the credit. And if I need the credit, well, then I'm probably not in the right spot. Yeah, absolutely. There is a, um, there's, I think, a natural inborn tension in our roles as executive pastors that um, that does push on this particular issue mm-hmm. because a large portion of what we, and I've said this to, uh, to folks as they've come in as an executive pastor, is, you know, the, a large portion of our job is actually in a lot of churches, not in every church, but in a lot of churches is actually looking at and understanding the skills and abilities and giftings of our lead pastor, right. and then filling in the gaps around that. hundred percent. saying That's the like, job. Hey, our, our, yeah. our job is to figure out, hey, what are those things that that person isn't good at, can't do, doesn't want to do all that. And so by definition, we are in that second seat. We're in a place of submission and that can be hard for people, right? That can be hard for people to, um, you know, to want to serve into that spot. Is there, is there any piece of that that you find, you still find uh, a bit of a rub and how do you deal with that? How do you, (laughs) you know, when you come up against those pieces that you're like, gosh, I'm just not sure that I really want to keep doing this piece. What does that look like for you? Yeah, for me, it's still, I come back to calling all the time. Like I just know God's called us here. Um, and I'm a, I'm a, just a very idealistic person. So I believe in what we're doing and I want to be here long-term. So that means I have to put up with stuff that I don't always like. And it's the same thing as marriage. That's why I think that's a healthy analogy. Like, um, and I know that my wife and I aren't unique. We love each other. That doesn't mean we always like each other, but we're committed to each other. And that's, if you, if you, if we would treat church, not like a job, it is a family. We're part of the family of God. And then you layer in, I don't think a pastor in the world would disagree with me. And this doesn't mean you have to stay somewhere forever. Um, but Romans 13 makes it pretty clear that all authority placed over us is from God, from the president, whether you like him or not, to your boss. And so one of the things that was always helpful for me is it, it was actually flipping the script and realizing like, I'm not here at 242 to prove myself and become famous and do great things and see blah, blah, blah. I did want that. I wouldn't, I w- wasn't always able to be totally honest about it, but that was definitely driving me. I needed to achieve mm-hmm. and I needed to be recognized. And that was me just trying to get my identity out of, you know, we all misplace our identities all the time instead of having them rooted in Christ. So that's a big part of submission. But for me, it was the resilience of realizing my actual job is to make Dave Devlin better. If he's the person that God's placed over me and my job is to be called to submit to him and serve him, 
well, what serves him best? Let's fill it in where he's not good. Let me be what he's not good at. And together, that's where you create this collaborative power of being something that left to yourself you couldn't do. And uh, I mentioned Bob Smith, and you guys had had him on before. Mm-hmm. You cannot meet two people that are more different than each other than Bob and I in so many ways. And over you know, 13 years of working together, even longer when I was a volunteer, and so was he at the time, man, we... I mean, we just disagree and we fight sometimes respectfully Mm -hmm. and in love, but we do not agree with each other. And there's just been a beauty in that. And it's the same beauty I see in my marriage with my wife. My wife is very um, type A and strong and ferocious and I love her and she's Mm -hmm. not shy. And so Mm -hmm. without my wife being who she is in my life, um, I would not see some of the things that I've really had to work on in life. And, And Bob Smith's been like that and other leaders if we allow them. So in the same way that marriage can make you more holy, you know, that, that thing we say, same thing is true in leadership. Your leadership structure, regardless how good or bad they are, can make you more holy as you learn to be obedient, to be in submission, into making them successful, and then to, to following the steps in, in the calling that God has for you. Um, one of the ways I, I would talk about that with leaders a lot and would say that to anybody feeling really frustrated with their, mm-hmm. their especially if you're a campus pastor out there or an executive, you know, either executive pastor or frustrated with my, I can't always get along with uh, my lead pastor or I'm a campus pastor and I feel annoyed with the center or the central service or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, all right, well, are you called to this? Yeah. Okay. Then stop talking about that. <laughs> like right. Uh, right. In, in Matthew 10, 16, my favorite Bible verse of, of all time, Jesus says, uh, I am sending you out like lambs among sheep. That is the most uninspirational saying I've <laughs> ever heard. Like Jesus, yes. are you, wait, what? That sounds horrible. That sounds scary. That sounds like I'm outmatched, ill-equipped, and if Jesus ain't close to me, I'm going to get eaten, right? And so if he's the great shepherd, leadership starts with knowing him, spending a lot of time with him every day, abiding, resting, sitting in silence with him, growing in relationship, knowing his word, all that stuff. So that out of that, and, and really like Sabbathing and like just doing the things Jesus did, adopt his lifestyle, do those. And then you can step into the calling God has for you whether anybody ever gives you the recognition or the knowledge or the, the, the credit, um, you know, you're being faithful to what God's called you to, and that's the calling and that's what matters. And, uh, so the, the sheep among wolves thing to me is always funny because it sounds horrible and scary and ill-equipped and outmatched. Um, and yet that's what Jesus is saying, following him looks like. And so for, for me, I see submission as a a form of chosen suffering. I can, as Mm. an American, focus on my freedoms as a leader, say, I don't need you to tell me. Or when I think, especially in our culture, like so, so many of the teachings that Jesus told us that it's in the suffering where real blessings will be that just are different than anywhere else. Well, we don't really suffer for Jesus all that much in our culture. And to me, submitting to my leadership is a form of chosen suffering that says, I might not get the credit and might not go all the ways I want, but I know God's called me here and I'm going to serve and make my boss more successful. And I will privately confront and define relationship and have those honest conversations. But publicly, I, I'm going to champion him, support him, and be loyal to him. And one of the ways I talk about that is like, because it's always so easy to criticize, right? We all know there's always a way to criticize any leader about anything or any church because churches aren't perfect. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was always just knowing if my job's to do unto others as I would have them do to me, give the mercy that that I would like to receive, then I also want to follow in the way that I would want to be followed. And so I'm going to support my boss, my leaders, my, my elders, whoever I'm going to serve them 
and support them and make them successful because that is what I want the people who work for Mm -hmm. me to do uh, is Mm -hmm. compensate where I suck. And when someone criticizes something about me, step into that moment with a different perspective or truth. Um, and, and yeah, so some of those things for me, it was, it was in learning those things, seeing them, practicing them, and then just being humbled over and over again. Um, sometimes through my own stupidity and other times through like, I just, my thought when we planted Ann Arbor is if we could grow a church to a thousand people, that would be amazing. Mm -hmm. And then I was, we were just a couple of years in, I'm 33 years old. I'm driving home from our first Easter service where we were 1200 people. We broke a thousand by over 200 people that weekend. And as I was driving home, I'm 33 and I realized my dream was lame. It was right. lame. It was <laughs> so small, small and stupid. Yeah. And it was like, that wasn't from God. That was from me. Um, yes. And so, yeah, I think some of that is just having, being vulnerable and honest enough to say those things out loud and talk about them with people because it's really, really hard to decipher between God's will and his calling and your own ego. And you cannot do it on your own. And uh, I just had to be taught that over and over again through seeing God work despite me, um, good and bad. Love it. And that, that just shapes you. Yeah, that's great. I love it. I, what a, I think an encouragement for folks who've been listening in today and, and particularly I think speaking uh, some truth to to us who sit in that kind of second chair or somewhere in that, you know, mm-hmm. not the first chair role uh, to think clearly around what our piece of the puzzle is and, and how it is that God's called us to do been so, so helpful. Anything else you'd love to share with us before we wrap up today's uh, Man, episode? Yeah, I'd say like there's a thousand things to talk about and learn and whatever, but if that is like pricking something inside of you, um, I highly recommend a couple of books. Uh, one, yeah. when, when I saw the book came out, I was like, dang it, that's a book I want to write. And it's Clay <laughs> Scrogans or whatever his name is, who works for Andy Stanley uh, and his book, uh, Leading When You're Not in Charge. I mean, that's, it's, per, it's a great book, lots of good stuff. And from when I, I read it, because I was like, I want to see what he has to say. And he, his angle is even more different than the way I saw, but it was really, really helpful. And so I recommend mm-hmm. everyone reading that book. It's a really good book. But Two other really good books, because I feel like so much of our lack of submission comes out of mm-hmm. a desire to fight for something that we haven't fully entrusted to God yet. So it's some part mm-hmm. of us that needs affirmation and whatnot and, mm-hmm. and learning to like, we have ambitions, we should dream big, but it's only if the Lord wills. Right. And, right. um, so there are two really good books. One's by David Lomas called the truest thing about you. And the other is mm-hmm. by an author named Alicia Britcholi called anonymous and they are two books that I recommend. Uh, those are the two mo- two books I recommend the most for people to read other than the Bible because they, for me, were so formative and they continue to have that effect on people that read them because it just really challenges the Western culture that we've been discipled in and about how to really understand the truth thing about you and about cool. what it is to be in Christ and live that way and lead that way. Yeah, very good. So, yeah, I mean, I just say, I, I mean, to me, it's just keep learning. And the the other best thing I've ever done is just giving people full permission to be in my business and be totally honest about my fears, my frustrations, far too many pastors, and especially at the mega churches, just burn out and fail. And the reason is they try to carry everything on their own and they allow leadership to make them lonely and it doesn't have to Mm -hmm. be. Mm -hmm. So don't let it be. 
Well, this has been so good. Um, I really appreciate it. We'll link to those those books in the show notes. And cool. um, and we had Clay, Clay on the podcast in the past too. We'll link to that one as well. So nice. I I, uh, I really appreciate you being here today. If people want to track with you or with the church, uh, where do we want to send them online? How do we want to uh, get them? <laughs> uh, I know I'm, you're trying I'm to build to... a platform, right? And have everybody. No, I'm just kidding. Well, that's what's uh, so funny we... is I am uh, so disappointing on this front. I have no social media uh, for a that's purpose. Funny. And it was growing out of this a lot of these lessons I'm talking about, I can't handle it. Uh, social media to me, it it's too much of my own ego. And I, sure. I get cynical and critical. I start comparing and I start, you know, looking to what other people are saying about me or thinking about me before God's word every day. And I just, I can't, so I'm off all of it. My life's a ton better. I have so much less stress and worry in my life. I love it. So they can just send me an email. I'm just kevin.davis at 242community.com. I love meeting and working with people. Um, they can also send what Kevin Davis at newthing.org. That's, um, our North American stuff that we do working with churches. So love to connect with people. Um, and yeah, you can go on our church website, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that's but good. If you email yeah, me, then I'll true. email you back and you can have my cell phone. I'm, I'm super available. I'm just not on social media. So I'm not no, that's great. easily that's accessible. Really good. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank yeah, you man. so much for uh, just pastoring us and, and helping us today. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary.